Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Wiggins. I am the producer of the Building Great Sales Team podcast. Uh, Doug spoke with me, um, and he had an interview with Patrick Bolaños, one of his good friends out in Houston, Texas, for his podcast, Working for a Dream, in which they talk about legacy. And he wanted to share that with you guys. So sit back and enjoy this special episode where Doug gets interviewed by Patrick Bolaños of Trailer King Builders on the legacy he is trying to leave. Enjoy. Welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. Great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Let's get to work. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Working for a Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Bolaños, coming at you live, Houston, Texas, recording in the mobile podcast studio that we built out for Douglas Mitchell. Um, he popped his cherry earlier this morning on his podcast, not with me. I'm a little disappointed, but uh, that's okay. I've been using it and abusing it for the past month or so. Yeah, you sold me used goods, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's brand new. What you talking about? So Douglas came by the shop to pick up his trailer. We're uh, excited to record a podcast. We've done a podcast together before. Yeah. Uh, Douglas is a good friend of mine from, well, we met at Apex Execs, but I, we belong to similar masterminds together. Mm-hmm. Did an event with Ryan Stuman a few weeks ago when I spoke on stage for the first time ever. We stayed at the same hotel. We got to hang. We've become really good friends. I really do appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share your message with this mobile unit. Douglas, man, welcome to the show, brother. I appreciate you having me, man. It's, a, it's an honor to be on the show. I had you on mine six weeks ago or so, yep. something like that, when we were in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yep. And to this day, I got to go look at the numbers again, but to this day, the most downloaded show I have is yours. No shit. Yeah. It's got to be the face. It's, it's got to be, be the face. handsome motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> a couple handsome motherfuckers on a, on a, uh, on a podcast. Let's dig into it, bro. My podcast called Working for a Dream. I, uh, I'm a firm believer that everybody is working on a dream somehow. And I know you are probably too, right? You have a lot of ambitious goals that you're working on. And it's part of the nature of the beast where we belong to groups that force us to keep at it. Give us a little background of who Douglas Mitchell is and what you're working on. And uh, we'll go from there, bro. Yeah, so... I don't have an, as an amazing story as you do, but, you know... I, Everybody I has a story, dude. Yeah. So, I grew up in the suburbs for the most part. Yep. Right? You know, I, I guess it is kind of tough if you go back to when I was a baby, right? So, mm-hmm. I had meningitis when I was a baby. Wow. I was screaming, crying, all that stuff. My dad thought I was just spoiled. And so, he left me in the, the, the crib like that, and the meningitis spread. And so, I'm half deaf in my right ear. So, that's my dad. Mm-hmm. He, he, pa- he was an alcoholic. He passed away when I was 18, uh, probably spent a total of two weeks with him, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's because my granny Tish was amazing, and she took care of me during the summers, and he would come in and visit for a little bit, you know. Didn't really have the dad around. I moved out of my mom's house when I was 12 into my aunt's house, and she was like, yeah, you're better off there, <laughs> you know. So that kind of gives you my childhood background and everything. And so I was an angry kid, you know, because... I had abandonment issues and all that, mommy issues and daddy issues, right? So you got in a um, lot of fights? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I was five foot nothing in high school. <laughs> and you were picking fights? And I was picking fights, man. If there was, like, you know, your typical, like, jock, mm-hmm. you know, six foot, you know, 180-pound 
athlete. Yep. You know what I mean? That's the one I wanted to fight because I had something to prove, you know? Shit. And so uh, doing a lot of that stupid stuff in high school, got into multimedia, got into chess club of all things. I was a nerd, you know? And then uh, graduated high school, couldn't wait to get out of there, moved to Corpus Christi with about 200 bucks and my Ford Ranger. My aunt taught me responsibility. She taught me how to cook. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to clean, mm-hmm. you know, those, those type of things. She's kind of like my guardian angel. She gets a, a call every Mother's Day. She gets presents on Mother's Day. You know what I mean? I still have she's a relationship. She's like your mom. Yeah, she's like my mom. I still have a relationship with my mom, but yeah. she's more of an aunt, you right. know? Right. <laughs> they kind of swap roles there. But anyways, uh, so I moved to, to Corpus Christi. You know, I'm your typical entrepreneur. I worked 20 different jobs, got fired from them all. I'm not a good employee. I'm a horrible employee. And it was because, like, I knew I was destined for something great. I just yep. didn't have the skills to get there yet, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I didn't take a lot of shit. And so I... I hopped from job to job, you know, got fired a lot. And then I finally found marketing. Yep. And that was kind of like, okay, I can do this, mm-hmm. right? And so I started marketing for a real estate company. And then eventually I marketed for the previous owner of the business that I own now, Argenta Field Solutions. Yep. And uh, he gave me an opportunity to own or finance it from him. And so at the time, Argenta Field Solutions was just an AT&T dealer, door yep. to door. Yep. And we had about five reps and one manager. And so as soon as I took over the business, those five reps were dog shit. I fired them all. It was just me and the manager. He was in Houston. I was in Corpus Christi and we started from scratch. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to 2014, we had 110 sales reps. Wow. And about $5 million in in commissions. Congratulations. Yeah. And that's about us. And so we we blew it up really fast. Yeah. You know, success at an early age, way too fast. (laughs) Didn't know what the hell I was doing. Was shooting from the hip the whole way. You know, the things that I've been learning in in, in Apex over the past year, I definitely didn't know back then. Mm -hmm. And so if I had, I mean, I could probably be at 20, 30 million like, like you right now. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I'm, I'm super thankful for Apex because it, it kind of got me out of my rut. So I hit that peak in 14, yep. you know, went through some some things with my marriage, got a divorce. And uh, so I got into being average for a little bit, for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, didn't really lean into my strengths. You know, the, the, the way that I was able to scale that business mm-hmm. was by replacing myself instantly because it was door to door like I knocked doors for a total of three months and I own a door-to-door sales company mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. once I figured out okay this is the model this is the script this is the pitch this is how you train someone then you know I replaced myself I promoted someone and then I eventually uh met Wayne Skinner yep he had a team already I brought him into the fold and then we kind of blew up from there and I kept replacing myself along the way putting admin positions in place I wasn't the accountant anymore I hired someone I wasn't the payroll person anymore I hired someone I wasn't uh the recruiter anymore I hired someone you know so I was really good at doing that you know and so that's how I was able to scale so fast but um Again, going back to the personal side. So the business blew up, made a bunch of money, and uh, was traveling a lot. And so marriage fell by the, by the wayside, got a divorce, and got back into being average, like I was saying. And, um, you know. And so then, you, sky, you, 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 you climbed the mountain mm-hmm. financially. Yeah. You put your family on yeah, the side. Absolutely. You focused on growing. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with the process of making money, I imagine, yeah. right? And then you started making stupid decisions. I was a wartime general. There you go. You know, so I had to have adversity in order to be motivated. Yeah. If that makes sense. You couldn't tell from my childhood, right? Right. <laughs> so that's where it came from. Like, if I didn't have someone to fight, then, then I was bored. Mm. And I could be average real fast. You know what I'm saying? So it was hard. You know, that's why mindset is so important. And we talk about it all the time. We yep. always go back to it. You know, I have a... My podcast is building great sales teams, but we always end up at mindset because if you don't have the right mindset, you do need something like that in order to motivate you, which for me, it was like a negative bank account. 
you know what I'm saying? Or somebody trying to steal my sales reps or, you know, there had to be an enemy, an enemy. Exactly. So you were, you were, you were driven to beat somebody. Yeah. Okay. And it's funny, John Hiley talks about it all the time Uh and he talks about it at at our RBO mastermind. And he was like, if you have to have competition in order to be successful, then that is a, uh, what is it called? That is a self-sabotaging trait. Really? You know what I'm saying? Because you need that friction, mm. you know? And so, anyway, so I went through the divorce and everything. I focused on my kids. All of a sudden, I became 10 times a better father because I was like, look, I, I can't be my dad. I can't be my mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't, yeah. I can't create this family life for my kids. I've got to be the one guy that was able to get divorced, co-parents, and raise my kids in a healthy and healthy relationships with us both, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to where we didn't use the kids against each other and stuff like that. So I really focused on that. You know, I, I took a lot of shots to the chin and overcame pridefulness, selfishness, all that type of stuff that kind of got me into that situation in the first place. And uh, I started just focusing on the kids the family and then I, that's where my core values started coming in place awesome you know awesome and a big one at the time was integrity yep because i wasn't faithful in my marriage that's what caused my divorce so after my divorce i was like i'm i'm just gonna put everything out there mm-hmm. everybody's gonna gonna know where i came from and what i'm about and what i've done with my past so it's out there it's done with you can't hurt me now yep. you know what i'm saying and so i was always transparent about that and uh, that was kind of like a superpower. You know, you can't talk shit about me because I've already talked shit about me, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, you can't hurt. Nobody can hurt you. Yeah, kind of like Eminem and 8 Mile, right? Right. And so I was I was able to maintain a really good relationship with my ex. And uh, eventually, you Your know. former ex. Former ex, right? <laughs> we just got reengaged. So eventually we started dating again and reconciled. And I just reproposed to her a couple weeks ago. Congratulations, in, in, dude. In Cabo. Yeah, I saw the videos, man. Amazing. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it, it was beautiful. And so... You know, getting to that point was tough. You know, we dated and lived together for a year before that happened. But Apex helped me a lot with that and being around guys like you and uh, the Apex coaches Mm -hmm. and just everybody in that executive space. I mean, they're just big. Most of them, 80 percent of them. Right. The ones that I hang out with, at least, are are big on their family, are big on constantly dating their wife, Mm -hmm. are big on being present for their kids. You know what I mean? So I had constant examples around me that inspired me daily and, and convicted me. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And then I went through 75 hard. You know, I've been practicing G-code. These are all things that keep me aligned and keep me aligned with my core values and then and then keep me focused on it. And from there, it's just completely reignited my fire. You know what I'm saying? From back when I used to have it in 2012 and 2013, 2014 for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Now it's all for the right reasons. Yeah, but you now know? you have everything you mm-hmm. want, mm-hmm. right? Back then, you probably didn't have everything you wanted. You just had one thing. Yeah. You were working on your financial side. Yeah. Well, you, like, you didn't have any core values. Not having core values can can be a reason that you hit rock bottom yeah. real quick. Because you won't know where to stop doing what you're doing. Correct. Because you don't have a, a barometer yeah. for your, <clears throat> the ethical piece of it. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. your, your north. So, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've been through it. Yeah. You know, I've been married 16 years and uh, I had jobs that required that I be away from home. Not travel as much but yes be away like on sales meetings yeah sales dinners and that would lead to drinking and that would lead to getting home at two o'clock three o'clock in the morning yeah um not being present with my kids being overweight not mm-hmm. dating my wife yeah yeah becoming like a zombie at home yeah zombie of a person that had no real relationships in your own home Isn't and that crazy that, it is crazy like yeah. i was a stranger to my kids mm-hmm. and so redemption is a beautiful thing bro it really is. Let me tell you a little story real quick. Sure. I don't want, I don't want to, but uh, 
Obviously, you know who Ed Milet is, right? Uh-huh. Arte Syndicate. I joined Arte Syndicate in 2018, and I went to the Arte Syndicate Live April 2019. I made it a mission of mine to meet Ed, and so I waited for him outside the hotel. I knew he was going to board a plane. Paparazzi style. Paparazzi style, dude. I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and I went out there, and I have a picture to prove it. And I said, Ed, I just want to ask you one question, bro. Because when he spoke, he spoke about family. Mm-hmm. And he spoke about his kids. And that shit, like, I don't know, it was like, a, like an arrow straight to my heart. Like, mm-hmm. conviction. Oh. And I said, I have to talk to this guy. I have to get one question in. And I asked him, listen, I'm a different person than I was four years ago. At the time, four years ago, my daughter was 12 and my son was eight. He's 16 now and he's 12 now. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do I still have a chance to create that relationship that you were talking about what he told me that day changed everything he said just by you coming to me and asking me that question tells me that you're a fucking awesome father and it's never too late to change so keep doing what you're doing and that's it and i was like oh, fuck and that and that's the crazy part too like because I, I know where I, I know where he's going with that so it's like you think about highly motivated individuals like us mm-hmm. and we probably work more than most right yep. or have in the past right yep you know, we're, we're constantly finding ways to reduce that. But at the same time, it's part of us. But me at home present with my kids for 30 minutes mm-hmm. is worth more than me 10 years ago at home watching a Dallas Cowboys game. You know what I'm saying? Or half on my phone, half present, yep. you know, for 10 hours. Yep. Just that, that truly being present with them where the phone's not in your hand, the TV's not on. You're playing a board game mm-hmm. or whatever the case is, or you're playing video games with right. them. I mean, you're doing stuff that they want to do. Absolutely. Or, or like me and my kids the other day, we built a, a chicken coop. Nice. You know, and that was a really cool experience because I'm not a, I'm not a handy dude. You know what I mean? I mainly pay for that. It's this trailer, right? <laughs> but you look like a handy dude. I mean, you like you drive a truck like you're I enjoy handy. Enjoy it. Yeah, I, I enjoy working with my hands. I really do. But my talents. My talents are with this right here. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And in, yeah. in business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to eventually build the things on my 100 acre ranch that I want. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, um, but anyways, that just that uninhibited, truly present, mm-hmm. you know, and it is something that you have to practice at and be disciplined at. Yep. Because, I mean, if you're anything like me, and I'm guessing you are, we're ADD. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And it's like our mind can be completely somewhere else. Immediately. Like, when we have know, the mo- shiny object syndrome, <laughs> like, we'll see something and be like, Whoop. Yeah, Whoop. exactly. And so it's, 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 you have to practice at it. You know, it's just like reading. I can read three pages of a book and not get anything. Yep. And uh, not absorb anything. And I have to reread it because I just realized I was. You were thinking about something else. Thinking about reading. P&Ls or thinking about my marketing plan for this new product. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So something I do is I leave my phone. As soon as I walk in through the door, I put mm-hmm. it to the left-hand side. As soon as you walk into my house, there's like a little stand there or whatever. Yeah. I just drop it there. That's and huge. I make sure to leave it there for at least an hour. I've been leaving mine on my nightstand charger over mm-hmm. there because it's usually almost dead anyways. <laughs> so it kind of works out. But, yeah, that's what I've, I've been doing in a different room mm-hmm. because if that sucker lights up, then in my head it's the most important thing in the world is happening. You know what I mean? Exactly. Re- really the most important thing is right in front of me. And Absolutely. It's my, my son or Alicia or my daughter, you know. Yeah. So I want to I want to dive in a little bit to the to the you know to the past because mm-hmm. I think you you hit on some things that the our audience can probably gain some gain some value from. Uh-huh. How much do you attribute your success to the struggles growing up to not having a father mm-hmm. to having to do the things on your own because you had either two paths mm-hmm. when you said you had meningitis and yeah. you were abandoned pretty much right yeah. not to say 
that you were or not, but you, you were essentially on your own at a very mm -hmm. young age. Mm -hmm. You had two paths, either go the wrong way right. or the right way, and you found a way to get back on track. So how much do you attribute your success today to those, to that path, to, to the things that you, you know, you saw as a young kid, even as an mm -hmm. adolescent or, or as yeah. a teenager? So when you have parents that aren't present, mm -hmm then the kids don't have a moral compass. Okay. It's typically what happens, right? Yep. And then then that happens, right? But I did have a moral compass in my aunt. Mm. So she is the one that took me to church every Sunday. Gotcha. You know, she's the one that taught me right from wrong. She's the one that taught me how to be an adult, right. how to be responsible, yep. right? So when I was, you know, 20, 21 years old, I would look around me and everybody's partying, everybody's having a good time. And, you know, I didn't believe in college, so I, I wasn't in college. But they were in that mode, right, where it's like all, all I have to do is go to school and pass and then I get to party the rest of the time. You know what I'm saying? Where I was, I had a job. You know what I mean? I had a, a, a marketing position at a real estate company. I had an apartment. My apartment was clean. I cooked. You know what I'm saying? I was an adult. You were adulting. So she she basically was the reason I stayed on the right path. Okay. I could have easily, like you said, gone to the wrong path. Mm -hmm. But she, she was, like I said, my guardian angel, right? Yeah. And then after that, you know, obviously I was kind of let loose on the world, right? And I had nobody there saying, hey, that's wrong. You know, this is right. But her lessons stayed enough, mm -hmm. right, to where I didn't completely veer down the wrong path. I never really got into drugs, you know what I mean? I never had an issue with drinking, despite, you know, my father being an alcoholic um, and several people in my family being al alcoholics. But I had a I had this motivation that I wasn't going to be like anybody in my family. Mm. I'm, I'm horrible at keeping in touch with friends or family. Yeah, I'm terrible at it because I never had it, those relationships when I was younger, never had those lifelong friendships or any of that. So it was always like me against the world. And that's the way I wanted it, you know, because it kept me dialed in and focused, mm -hmm. you know. And I didn't know how to be dialed in and focused if I if it wasn't me against the world. You know what I'm saying? So by the time I had a family, that's kind of what messed me up. It's like, oh, I have people that love me and that would do anything for me now. This is weird. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to act, you know. But anyways, going back to, you know, what you were saying, I would attribute 98% of it to those abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because that was my motivation. I wanted to prove everybody wrong and I wanted to prove I was worthy. And so you, you have this grit, this nonstop drive to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and then I succeed. And then you do. And then it's like, what now? Yeah. You know, and so I, my issue and Alicia back then would always tell me you can never be content where mm -hmm. you are. Yep. And, and that was the hardest thing for me. She was absolutely right. And, it, and it's why, you know, I ended up uh, becoming unfaithful in my marriage because now I had another thing to conquer. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I compartmentalized and that was my life on the road. I had my family when I went home. I was the perfect family man when I went home and I was able to compartmentalize things because in my childhood, that's what kept me moving forward was taking those, you know, those abandonment issues and mm -hmm. putting them in a box yeah. in my mind yeah. and not dealing with them. You know what I'm saying? So I had to go through all of that after mm -hmm. my divorce and deal with all that shit. And, 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 you know, my kids really helped me a lot because I had uninhibited time with them. You know, when, when you're a co-parent and you have your kids, you know what I'm saying? And you go from, you know, she was the mom, she took care of the kids. You know, I protect her, provide her, took care of the house, you know, the stuff around the house, uh, outside of the house, and she yep. was the inside, right? Yep. Traditional family and everything, and then all of a sudden, you're everything. Yep. You're the one putting Band-Aids on. You're the one taking care of them when they're sick, you're, you know? So it changed me, you know, being able to do that. So it's hard to, for me to say, but in terms of my relationship with my kids, my divorce was like a godsend. Yeah, of course. You rebuilt that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I did it early enough to where I didn't feel like I, you know, I had 
I still have so much time with them because yeah. my daughter is, is 11 now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure uh, listeners are probably curious, how do you rebuild a relationship with your wife? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the things that you do to show that, you know, you're not the same Douglas Mitchell from the past? So the first thing that had to happen is, so we tried to reconcile like six times before it actually worked. Mm-hmm. The only reason that we were able to fully reconcile and now be engaged to be married in uh, like a month was because she truly forgave me. So if you're in a relationship where somebody has somebody has um, cheated or been unfaithful or broken trust, mm-hmm. until that forgiveness happens, right. you're fucked. Yeah, it can't it can't be. it can't work because it, it it would be every time that we start dating again, you know. And I would be all for it, all in. I wanted to become that man I wasn't able to be a couple years before, right? And so I mean, I was all in, like I never was before. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but she couldn't see past what I had done. You know what I'm saying? And so it wasn't until she came back to her faith mm-hmm. and that she rebuilt her relationship with God on her own. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, that she was finally able to forgive me completely. And it, it was it was crazy, Patrick. Like from one week to the next, she completely changed. Wow. And I changed in her eyes. Yeah. And, as, and especially seeing how I operated when we were divorced yep. as a father, as a provider. Yep. You know what I mean? Because we went 50-50. Yep. I took care of her like she had the kids 100% of the time. Okay. So I made sure that, hey, I never want the money to be an issue, Mm -hmm. so we can always focus on the kids, you know? And um, what she couldn't see before, she could see now. And then then the man that I had become. And so it was from one week to the next, all of a sudden that veil had been lifted, and she was able to see me for me and not just see my transgressions. Yeah. And uh, so it, it really had, I had to become a better person you know, I had to do a lot of work on myself. I had to work through that childhood shit that fucked me up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And once, once I, once I did that, and she truly forgave me, the both things have to happen. That's awesome, man. You know what I'm saying? That, com- that combo's got to happen. So, so you said my, you don't have a. What did you say earlier? I don't have a greatest story. You have the better story than mine, <laughs> motherfucker. Your story's awesome. So, um, I've heard your story uh-huh. about how you bought the business uh-huh. from the previous owners. Yeah. I think the, our listeners will get a lot of value in learning. Tell us a little bit about that process on how you acquired a business where you were an employee or were you a partner at first? I, I, was, an, I was an employee. Okay. Yeah. Tell and us a little bit about so that. So I was the marketing manager. Yep. My Sorry. salary was 30 grand a year. Wow. And, you know, I had had a few sales positions in the past, but mm-hmm. maybe they got me up to 40. Yep. Right. I learned a lot from him because he, he was a multi-business owner, okay. right? He owned multiple businesses, industrial staffing collectible gold and then he owned a a, a nonprofit for uh, a youth a youth church mm-hmm. or a youth camp mm-hmm. um so so three completely different businesses completely different needs and so i was working in them all right and then uh another salesperson told him about this uh 18t contract that he can get door-to-door sales he's like shoot we do boiler room sales we do high ticket sales we can smoke this cable thing door-to-door right and uh he's put about 200 grand into it and just couldn't get it going because he didn't have the right people in in place to lead that you know and then systems and processes all that stuff that you know when you're the when it's your only business you build along the way but when you're trying to build it from a distance yeah through other people, it's very difficult to do. Of course. 
And uh, so he asked me to get involved. So I got involved. I started writing scripts. I started writing SOPs and, and training and everything. And then we got it back to black. Mm-hmm. And then he tried to sell it. But it's a door-to-door sales company that has an AT&T contract that if you got decent credit and maybe some sales history, you can get for free. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was the only sucker that was going to buy it. <laughs> so he, he got a pretty good deal after that. Whenever I, whenever I bought it, he was 10% owner and I was 90%. Okay. So I paid 200 grand for that 90%. I would make him whole on his original investment, yep. right? Yep. And then he'd get a little something along the way after that. Mm-hmm. Well, one, the way that I made that happen is, is I was young and dumb mm-hmm. and wasn't afraid to take risks, even though I had just gotten married and my daughter was three months old. So you, just, you, were, you, you had to pay him the business succeeded or not? You owed him 200 grand? Yeah, it was a, gar- it was a personal guarantee. You personally guaranteed? I didn't know what that meant back then. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you got to fucking personally guarantee almost everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was all in on the opportunity. I had no idea how I was going to make it work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, I wanted to own my own business. And I knew that's where I was headed. And uh, working with him pushed me to do that even more. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he taught me so much of what, what to do and then a little bit of what not to do in yeah. terms of your relationships with your people. You always had a hard time maintaining those long-term relationships that helped your business scale and blossom, yep. you know? Yep. And, um... So I kind of hyper-focused on that when once I opened up the business. And I kind of gave away the farm a lot of times so that I could scale. And, that, and that's what too many business owners do is they get to that 100 grand mark. And they try to protect that 100 grand mark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so much instead of give away 50, you know what I mean, and hire someone that's going to help you scale. And then you're back at that 100 in six months. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because you're able to take on more business or you're able to hire more salespeople, you know? When you say give away 50, you're talking about bringing on, hiring somebody and paying them 50,000. Yeah. You know, it's an investment in your eyes, not a cost. Yeah. Because you are planning on the scale and the growth. You're Mm -hmm. guaranteeing your growth if you invest in, you know. Yeah. Bringing on more people to help you. There was so many times I spent myself into the red. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And again, that me against the world mentality, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it happen no matter what. Like, there were so many times I created that for myself, and I didn't even realize I was doing it on purpose yeah. so that I, I could create the problem and then solve it. Okay. You know, it's just the, the self-sabotage cycle over and over again. So you signed this contract, mm-hmm. 200 grand. Yeah. What'd you feel like? Like, after, like, the first week, you're like, holy shit, I just bought myself a business. I mean, my first week, I made $1,500, which if you do the math on that, I... I That's sales? No, I was able to pay myself fifteen hundred. Oh, okay. So this this whole thing you you don't even pay yourself until the first year that mm-hmm. I didn't follow any of that. Mm-hmm. I was paying myself the first week. I had yeah. a family. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there was no choice. Like but I also made my own sales, you know? And but anyways, so I made fifteen hundred my first week. I was like, I'm golden. That's seventy five grand. Like I just just guaranteed myself two hundred and fifty percent of what I was making before. <laughs> I had hit the big time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then three weeks later, I couldn't make payroll. Wow. <laughs> wow. How'd you make payroll? I borrowed money from the mob. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time. You didn't know they were mobsters? I didn't. Well, okay, so it was this little old man. I borrowed a, money from the mob. In a, in a, fuck, bro? Yeah. In a trailer, right? And so my sales manager told me about him. He says, hey, if you, it was something like if you borrow 3500 from him, then you pay him back 4500 in a month. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Some crazy interest, you know? And I was like, fuck it, I gotta make payroll. So I did it. And then, so I used him a few times here and there. And then it wasn't until later on, my sales manager had moved on, but we ran into each other at a bar or something like that. And he's like, hey, 
you know that Ramiro was his name, the old man in the trailer. You know that Ramiro is connected to the to the Mexican mafia, right? No <laughs> way. Yeah, that's crazy. Sure enough, he was like the front for their bookie system or whatever. Right. And so if you borrowed money, if you didn't pay, you, you know what I'm saying? Luckily, you lose your legs. Yeah, luckily I paid every time. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I've done all kinds of crazy stuff, taking out, you know, high interest business loans. Like, dude, I was just not a good financial business owner. Well, you got to make shit happen. Sometimes you got to make shit happen. You know, the, mm-hmm. the system is not set up to help entrepreneurs no. when you're growing, mm-hmm. right? If you're a brand new business, you try to go get a loan from a bank, they'll they're laugh probably going to laugh at you, yeah. right? They'll kick you out. And, but, and there's other lenders out there that are willing to take the risk because mm-hmm. let's be honest here, entrepreneurs, new businesses are high risk. Yeah. You know, the failure rate is super high. Mm-hmm. And so if you can make it work, I have no problem in getting a, you know, you know, that's stupid interest loans. Yeah. But I'll give you an example. Like when we were a year old to a year and a half old, a uh, company called Cabbage, I don't know if it, I don't think it exists anymore. I think about bought out by, by another, by another company, by American Express, I think. Yeah. They gave us a $65,000 line of credit. Mm-hmm. The interest was 4% a month. So if you took a month to pay. It's basically a factoring fee. It's 48% interest. Yeah. So it's almost, you know, if I took $10,000, it would cost me 5000 pretty much 5000 bucks, Almost yeah. Half, half. Yeah. Right? Our profit margin isn't. Uh, 48%. It, it wouldn't take, you know, if we, if we went it if we did it the law, uh, the, the full time. But what we would do is we would assign projects to it, like super responsible. I would take, I would draw 30 grand. Mm-hmm. And that would be for a client that I knew was going to pay, was going to pay. Right. Mm-hmm. We would pay the line immediately, you know, and it only cost us that 3% for that month or that 45 days. Yeah. And then we could draw on that again. And we did that and we cycled it. I don't know, to the tune of like $350,000 a year. Yeah. And that helped us scale. Now, did we pay a few percentage points on that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it helped us get to the point where now, for example, we could go out and get a seven, a loan from the SBA at 5% over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm the believer of make shit happen. Understand a little bit about the numbers. Yeah. Right. You don't have to fucking be an expert at the at, at first, and then start bringing people on that are experts that can help you out. Yeah. All my my lessons up until I found Apex were I had to learn them five times and painfully in Ooh. order for it to stick. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's just because I didn't. I've had this stupid <laughs> confidence <laughs> that I was always gonna make it happen somehow, and I always have. And Alicia. My ex-wife, baby mama, girlfriend, fiance, uh, she will tell you every time that she, she doesn't understand it, but she has the confidence in me, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. make any sense, yep. like, on, on paper. But, you know, like, like the, the deal we did for this trailer, you know what I'm saying? Like, freaking bought this trailer with a Rolex. <laughs> no. Made an investment, you know what I mean, that I thought I was going to hang on to for five years, but cash flow got low. I'm like, hey, Pat, what do you think about this? You know what I mean? And we wheeled it. And dealed and made it happen. You know what I'm saying? And so... I already uh, sold the Rolex, by the way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm waiting for the, for the response. Hey, bro. If, if you want it, it's yours. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, but yeah, that, I've always had this stupid confidence. And I've never had that what if, like, something bad happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I probably should. You know, it probably would have served me a lot better if I did. I don't know, though. I don't know. Mm, I'm not... So when I do that... Because mm-hmm. I, I, I always go back to the times when I was broke, right? Yeah. I fear that. Like, it scares the shit out of me. I remember asking a question to uh, Satema Gali. Oh, Because yeah. he went up, and then he went hit rock bottom. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, if I hit rock bottom now, knowing the things I know, mm-hmm. is it possible? That scares me. Yeah. Like, 
maybe there's a catastrophe or economic downturn or I don't know what the fuck, but yeah. what I know, I know I can get out. I have the confidence I can get out, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid of, you know, I don't know. I'm afraid of failing, bro. I think for me, cause I'm not in fulfillment. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? I don't need 10,000 square feet to operate. Yeah. You know, like, like you do. So you like, you have a lot, you have liabilities everywhere, everywhere, bro. <laughs> That's scary. Whereas scared. like if everybody left me tomorrow, yeah, I can go out and sell a solar system and make five grand. Right. You know what I'm saying? Tomorrow. Right. right. So, and, and that's one thing I always talk to my guys about at the end of the day in our business, you can go out and knock on a door, no marketing dollars, no nothing. You and can that, rebuild it fast. Exactly. Yeah. I guess you're right. But I mean, yeah. Maybe I'm, we're going to get too big to fail. You know what I mean? <laughs> the banks are going to have to come in and be like, no worry, bro. We'll, we'll get you out. Yeah. They do it for everybody else, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, yeah, manufacturing is, uh, is, is it's a different is, animal. It's a different animal. Yeah. Um, you see the amount of people we have here. We have yeah. two facilities, bro. And, and that's the deal. From my 20s, I've moved on from, all right, I want all the, not all the things, but I want all the success. I want to beat everybody and all that. To my 30s, it's about impacting my people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And everything I do, like I, I am an, I'm an employee. Right. I'm an employee to my people. Yep. I work for them. Yep. And, and as long as everything I do is to make their lives better and give them more opportunity, it's going to happen naturally for me. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I've made a hundred grand a year for a long, a long time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I've made four I've made half a million. You know what I'm saying? I've got, you know, close to a million in investments and that's all good and well, but I can live on a hundred grand a year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I have no problem living on that. I got three acres in Define. It's cheap out there. You know what I'm saying? Our property is probably worth 300 grand you know, all in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can live on, on a hundred grand. So if I can continue to impact them only making a hundred grand a year and create all this opportunity, can you imagine once I start getting paid for that? Oh, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. that, that's the whole thing. Patience, baby. You have exactly. that patience, you know what you're doing mm-hmm. or who you're working for. It's not yeah. for you only. You're yeah. not, you know, you're working it, for other people. If I want to build this massive machine that you know, right now my target is a hundred six figure earners. Mm-hmm. I want to create a hundred six figure earners. And that's one of my targets, right? That's my business target. And my personal target is a hundred acre ranch. I've already visualized the whole house. I've built it out in my mind. That's one of the things that phase one does for you mm-hmm. versus just doing 75 hard phase one. You have to do 10 minutes of visualization every day. That's a hard word to say. Oh yeah. Um, you have to do 10 minutes every day. So I've built out my complete property and the guest house and the pool and the U-shaped branch style house, I, I have it see, all. Did you see the guy mind. that, did you see the post on Apex Execs or Entourage, the guy that uh, just built out his ranch style home? Uh-uh. You didn't see it? No. It's fucking amazing. Yeah? You should go look at it. Okay. Uh, I don't remember I don't remember who it was. Yeah. But uh, but it was amazing. So, all right. So, we're, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I have those those two goals in mind. And, um, you know, me and Wayne, my VP and my minority partner sat down and we created our core values. So, as long as I stay aligned with that impact goal, my core values, and then my personal goals, as mm-hmm. long as I stay in alignment there and I'm showing up for my family as a man and um, as a provider and protector and everything... Then, I, then I'm in good shape. I know I'm in alignment and, and I can be present in whatever I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. not be off somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long have we been going for, Ryan? All right, cool. So we're going we're gonna to start uh, dialing it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you working on? What are, what is those dreams besides the ranch, 600, I mean, uh, six, six-figure earners, 10 six-figure earners? 
hundred six figures. Figure. <laughs> you say visualization is hard to say. Hundred <laughs> six figure earners. Yeah. Okay. What else is Douglas Mitchell? What's your dream that you absolutely you know are working on every single day? So at this point, we're talking about legacy yep. in my mind. Yep. And so. I have two things when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I never saw myself on stage. I'm a tactical person. I'm an integrator. Yep. Um, I never saw myself inspiring others, but mm-hmm. I actually have my first gig on stage in Tampa in a couple months. Boom. Yeah, for uh, Philip Sessions' event. Oh, hell He's yeah. doing an event out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he told me the only way he was going to let me on stage, and uh-huh. not let me, but like he asked me to be on stage, but he's like, there's only one caveat. You have to talk about legacy. Because me and him had a conversation about yeah. legacy, and I mapped it out for him and everything. Yeah. And he was really impacted by it. So he was like, you have to talk about legacy. You can't okay. talk about building sales teams. Awesome. And I'm like, son of a gun. Because that, that's what everybody does in this network. They make you they make you get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Right? And so um, I have this vision of my family standing around our 150-year-old oak tree on our 100-acre ranch. And they're having conversations about continuing the Mitchell family legacy, our core values, making sure that we're all living up to those. And then they're talking about like how we're going to handle the ranch, how many more animals we're adding, or are we adding another house to make room for this, you know, family or whatever. And so I have this vision of them all standing around, making sure that they preserve the legacy that I started, the generational, uh, generational curse that I broke, right? Yeah. Not really curse. What it, there's another term for it, but basically breaking those generational habits, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're having those conversations. You're the guy that changes your family's trajectory. Yes, 100%. And so I want to create, I'm working on a family crest. We have our family core values set. And so that's that's where it's at. And then I want to impact other people to do this, to do the same, right? That's awesome. And so that's what I'm doing with, with the podcast. I'm giving them, you know, obviously a vehicle in building sales teams to scale their business. And then I think it's going to end up happening. The podcast is going to become more of a building your legacy than building your sales team. Beautiful, brother. Beautiful. That's what I'm asking. I'm sure you'll make it happen. Um, where can our listeners uh, find you? Uh, TXBizDad.com txbizdad.com mm-hmm. and on Instagram it's txbizdad it's all txbizdad awesome. Instagram uh, TikTok and Facebook is where we're at cool deal hey uh, this was fucking fun thanks for coming it on it happened like that too I know I know <laughs> one of my favorite episodes so far and you guys can hear that AC in the background I don't really care so um, <laughs> just go ahead and give us a five star review regardless of the AC running in the background make sure you follow Douglas TX Biz Dad. and uh, thanks again brother absolutely it was thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams be sure to appreciate it if you haven't done so already make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Until next time.